It is always interesting to discover how artists who have been around for many years keep their muse, how their current art is both a summation of their life experiences and a snapshot of the moment, and how they relate to their early work. In our culture, we tend to celebrate youth almost exclusively and often forget about artists who keep making contributions for decades after their initial success. This holds true for high-profile musicians making pop music for the most part, while in other circles, these artists are treated very differently. Pop culture is disposable by design, and there are very few music artists who manage to stay on top of the charts past their 20s or 30s. But in the Roots music scene, there are plenty of legacy artists who thrive for decades longer and can continue to attract new fans of younger generations as long as they keep making good music. Star musicians who burn out or are churned out of the hit-making machine tend to gravitate towards the authenticity of Roots music like blues, bluegrass, or Americana. John Mayer, Cyndi Lauper, Bruce Springsteen, Amy Mann, Joan Osborne, John Oates, Kathy Matea, Patti Loveless, and John Mellencamp have all reinvented themselves as Roots artists to one degree or another. Add to that list Colin Hay, who 40 years ago was known worldwide for massive hits with his former band, and who today is making music like you're hearing now. The title track to his 15th album after leaving Men at Work, the collection Now and the Evermore. I caught up with Colin at one of the premier Roots music festivals in America when he played Merlefest in April of 2022. It was a solo performance that saw him play from his extensive solo catalog as well as from his minute work days. As you will hear, Colin still embraces his earlier work, which is not always the case with artists enjoying a second career in Roots music. We talked about his new album and longtime relationship with Compass Records, the music and music scenes of his native Scotland and his successive home countries, Australia and the U.S., his admiration for artists like Casey Musgraves, Sturgill Simpson, and Chris Stapleton, about finding his way out of having been, as he puts it, too alternative for commercial labels and too commercial for alternative labels, and a lot more, including more music from Colin's latest record. Welcome to our episode on Colin Hay. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music fans deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. 
Osiris works in partnership with Jambase, which connects music fans to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio, WNCW at WNCW.org. Colin Hay on WNCW here on Southern Songs and Stories. Welcome. Oh, you're welcome. Nice to be here. It's so nice to see you. How's everything been going today? Well, we just had a trip from uh, Atlanta, so we just got here. So uh, virtually just got out of the van. <laughs> <laughs> so so far, so good. It's a pretty marathon tour you're on. You're at Nashville tomorrow. Yeah, it's a it's a long, it's a pretty arduous, to be quite honest with you. Mm-hmm. It's, it, but it's good, though. But it's, it is, it is not for the faint of heart. No, I imagine not. Well, I had the greatest small world moment today in getting breakfast here, and this is, uh, it's a benefit festival which benefits the college. We're on a community college campus, and there are all sorts of civic organizations running booths and raising money for their themselves as well. So I see John, who is year in, year out serving me breakfast, and it's just the friendliest guy. We've struck up, you know, conversations plenty of times at Merle Fest and then other places where I see him. And he said, out of the blue, when he's handing my biscuit, he says, I'm really excited about seeing Colin Hay today. Oh, excellent. And I said, really? He said, you know, my ancestors are the same Hayes in Scotland. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, that is a go. really small world moment, John. Well. Isn't that fun? I didn't. I, I don't. I don't know that. That would be. It's very. I don't know any other. I don't really know any other Hayes from Scotland actually, because we left there when I was fourteen to go to Australia. So mm-hmm. I only really knew my mother and father and brother and sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it may well be the case. Who knows? A lot of uh, Scott came here. Yeah, lots of English, Irish, Scots yeah. settled in this area and. Uh, didn't leave so whereas England was, today uh, yeah. the makeup is actually the average uh, Englishman has less uh, of that in his bloodline than somebody like me who it's just goes all of my family that I'm not I'm in that's not unusual it's like my family lots of families in this whole region we go straight back to the to the island uh, you know, Ireland or England, the UK? and that's where all of our families are from. Yeah, well, a lot of Scottish people got got kicked out of the UK when the when the when the union happened, you know, and and also the clearances, all the clearances that took place. So, a lot of people came here, you know, not of the not of their own free will, but then again, a lot did because they were um, forced to join the the union, the the, the UK union, and mm-hmm. a lot. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of Scottish people involved in the American Revolution to, yes. uh, to uh, one of the reasons was perhaps to get back at the English. <laughs> I, indeed, right? Mm. Right. All right. Could you tell us about making your album Now and Evermore and switching back to a collection of originals, whereas you had done an all-covers record uh, before? How's everybody reacting to your new album? Well, everything seems to be going pretty well, but I, I always get excited about new records. Actually, this record was recorded before the covers record, actually. It was ready to go before the covers record, but because everything got put on hold, we decided to, to keep it until I was going to be going out on tour. So I was, it meant that I was sitting around uh, 
in the studio, like a lot of us were, thinking, okay, what am I going to do today? So I just started doing some covers. So the new record was re recorded before the covers one, but the covers one came out first, and so this one's just been, the new one's just been released a few weeks ago. So, But I, I love the record. I'm very happy with it, and so I just really want whoever has it to, you know, get something from it, you know? Wonderful. I love how A Man Without a Name segues into Undertow, and there is such a span between those two songs, it's just somewhat remarkable, I thought. <laughs> yes, they're very, very different, aren't they? No conversation about Colin Hay would be complete without a mention of his early days in music. In 1978, he formed a duo with Ron Streichert, and the next year they added Greg Hamm and Jerry Spicer and called themselves Men at Work. Two years after that, they released their debut album, Business as Usual, on CBS Records, the Australian branch of CBS Records International, the label which would later become Sony Music. In that era, the biggest hits were, much like today, meticulously produced songs that had a studio sheen which was inseparable from the melodies themselves. Along comes a new band from Australia, a country that had not launched a hit beyond its shores in many years. As Nick Cave said, before the 1980s, Australia still needed America or England to tell them what was good. The band that would do the most to begin changing that mindset was Men at Work. Their sound was definitely pop, but distinct from everything else on the charts. With a sound that relied much less on embellishment, its strength was the songs themselves, most of which were written by Colin. Almost did not happen. The U.S. label rejected Minute Work's debut album twice before finally giving in and releasing it in the spring of 1982. By November of that year, Business as Usual climbed all the way to number one on the Billboard chart on the strength of two number one singles, Who Can It Be Now and Down Under. By January 1983, Minute Work had the top album and single in both the U.S. and the U.K., which no Australian band had ever done. 
following quickly on the heels of business as usual, probably too quickly seeing as how that debut was still so popular, they released Cargo in the spring of 1983. It was a success, but not nearly as big a success as their first album, peaking at number three in the States. They followed that with their third album, Two Hearts, in 1985, which was a critical and commercial failure, and by 1986, they had called it quits. For a lot of artists, this would have been the end of the line, but for Colin Hay, it was really the first chapter in a career that has now spanned six decades. You've become something of the Tom Brady of your class. You know, Madonna, R.E.M., they've all hung it up, but you're still putting up numbers on the field. So there are a lot of people in your class that you, 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 you far out distance. So, but seriously, there are uh, benefits from, you know, retirement as well. And it's a heavy load to keep moving, create new projects, yeah. tour, etc. So I bet it takes a lot of willpower for you to keep doing this. I wouldn't say that it's willpower, really. It's, it's um, uh, maybe it is. I mean, there's a certain amount of uh, tenacity involved with just keep going, but it's, it's when, I, when I've been home for the last couple of years, um, I would be, you know, just out walking the dog. And so you get these ideas that pop into your head and so you just follow them. And so all of a sudden you find yourself in the studio and you find yourself working on songs and then you just find yourself that a few weeks have gone by, you know, so that doesn't feel like using willpower it's just like following little ideas that pop into your head <laughs> and then uh, the the difficult part is actually really um you know finishing the songs and then going okay how does how should i record this one and, and that's where a lot of the work comes into it but it's it's very productive work it's very creative and it's very um i find it quite fulfilling and rewarding you know the hard part is really going out on the road really where that's that's where it's a, a grind it's not particularly healthy you're in you're in traveling in, in vehicles for you know five or six hours a day at least and then you get up and do a show so you have to pace yourself as far as that's concerned especially as you get older but um, no I think you know I think I've got a few years left in me that's good <laughs> we cer we certainly hope so oh do you have any thoughts about uh, fellow Scottish expats in Australia uh, like Eric Bogle how many how many uh, Scotsmen are in Australia. Wound up in Australia. Do you oh, know? Oh, many, many, lots. Yeah, lots. You know, I, I love Eric Bogle. He's a great writer, and uh, I've done a few shows with him, but not for a few years. But, um, but he's like he's the. I think he's probably the you know one of the most successful uh, expatriate uh, you know folk singers that's, that's done very well internationally. You know, he's mm -hmm. fabulous. Could we talk about the culture in Australia, the places you've lived, Scotland, Australia, and America, as you became an American citizen, got your citizenship back in 2016, I believe. And um, can you compare those three locales? Have you got any sort of observations about what you can compare and contrast? Well, they're both, they're all amazing places. Um, Scotland's a very interesting place. It's it is very different from England, and uh, you know it's part of the it's part of the UK for the moment. Anyway, we'll see what happens in the next few years. Um, but uh, it's got a uniqueness to it. I like it's I like you know they're 
you know, it was a combination, I think, of probably what they call, you know, religious religious enlightenment, which kind of lived hand in hand with with scientific endeavour and and uh, an invention, which the Scots really were great at, whether it's civil engineering or inventing the the television or the roads or the whatever it was that you care to mention. They're they're pretty brilliant people. So I love I love growing up there. It was. You know, it was socially a little entrenched. You know, you still had a lot of sectarian violence. You know, Protestants and Catholics were always fighting with one another. That was that was my experience. When I went to Australia, there was less of that. There was it was maybe it's to do with the weather. There was, had this uh, f sense of freedom about the kids that I lived with. They would just go to the beach, and they were, you know, they lived in they lived in shorts and flip flops. It was a very different different lifestyle. It was more what I imagined America to be, or more in particular, you know, perhaps, you know, California, places like that. So, um, I mean, I loved living in Australia. I really love it. I love it as a, I live it as a country. Um, you know, it has some, some issues, like, like all, all places do, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, progressive, progressives versus people who are, you know, entrenched in the past, and uh, which brings with it problems. Um, but I came to the United States for you know two or three different reasons. Um, I had a record deal here, and I was getting divorced, and I was I was having trouble with alcohol, you know. So I, as a matter of fact, that coincided, you know, moving to Los Angeles coincided with with restarting my life in a way. So I have a lot of there's a lot of light attached to my move to the United States uh, because it's so and I could start again I found that I was quite you know I was quite accepted here in, in a rather you know um, it wasn't over the top or anything it's I've been really flying under the radar for a long time I make records and so forth but it's not none of them have been what you would call you know commercially successful but they're they exist and, and people who have them seem to love them you know so it gives me purpose and reason to keep going so um, you know it's still a place that has a that has a love of a song and um, so I'm grateful for that and you can go on the road and you can develop an audience and it's a pretty um, you know it's it's a it's a it's an unparalleled way to live in many ways you know mm -hmm. where you get to be creative and you get to play music for people it's 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 pretty joyous for the all, all, you know all things considered Agatha Bell, as far as I can tell, she was the last of eleven daughters. Agatha Bell, she married very the son of a self-made man Agatha Bell said he got swept away he was lost to the fast and freezing waters that's Agatha Bell another new one from Colin Hayes album now and the evermore released under his own lazy eye records and compass records the label he has been with for more than 20 years before that, he had gone the DIY route with Lazy Eye starting in 1992. I asked Colin about his experience starting an independent label in an era when that was far less common than it is today. 
Well, it was just a learning thing, you know, because I, when I got dropped by, I got dropped by MCA. First of all, I moved from Columbia to MCA Records just very briefly. I was offered a deal at, at uh, MCA Records in Los Angeles um, around the late 80s. And, um, you know, it, wasn't, it, it didn't really work out. You know, they dropped me quite quickly after one record, which in a way was good. I, I didn't really want to be there. It was, it, was, it was full of people that I had no real connection with, you know, and I'm sure they didn't really have a connection with me either. So it was good that they, that they let me go. You know, it's, it is rejection, but uh, you don't really want to be where you're not wanted, you know. So I just started out on my own, and I just discovered that there was I was over forty, and no one was no one from you know major labels seemed remotely interested in what I was doing, and even from a lot of independent labels, they weren't interested either. I kind of fell into this category of I was I was um, I was too um, I was too alternative for commercial labels, and I was too commercial for for, for alternative labels. I kind of <laughs> fell in the fell through the cracks a bit, you know. So I just started going out on my own, and so I thought, well, I, I want to make records, and so I just put a studio together and made records, and I would go down to the post office, and and if somebody wanted a CD, I would just physically I would send it off to them. I did that for years, you know. So I was on, I was pretty much on my own, and then uh, for thirteen years, so it was. It was challenging in one sense, but I mean, I, I was lucky because I, I wasn't poor, you know, I didn't, I, 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 I could put food on the table, you know, so from the old band. And so any problems that I had were really in relative terms, not, not really particularly bad, you know. So, um, uh, so I started working with Compass Records in Nashville around 2003, and, and that was good because they had an infrastructure, and at least they were somewhere centralized, where I, where I had a kind of you know a home, if you like, where I could put my stuff, and they put it out, and they liked what I did, and so it was, a, and I felt relatively free to produce whatever I wanted, you know, and they they liked it. In those days, it was much more rare to have your own label, you know. Today, you don't think twice. Everybody can can self. Uh, publish but yeah. it was in the 90s and that was that was that was a lot of effort I'm sure yeah well it was really a, a label in name only you know I wasn't particularly interested in signing other people because I didn't really have anything to offer anybody you know but I I put it together because people said oh if you want to get distribution you have to have your own label so that's why I did it because I thought well because it was very difficult to get distributed you know and it didn't really make it any easier, particularly. I still put my stuff out through CD Baby when it first opened, when it first um, when it first came on the scene, and um, and uh, it was really a stumbling process until I started working with um, with Compass. But but the main, the thing that kept me going all the time was the fact that I had a really strong live audience, which was growing all the time, you know. And they they liked what I was doing, and so they would always. They kind of got it in a way, and they would say, "Don't stop, please keep making records. We love what you do." So that was very encouraging, you know. Yeah, your experience with the the label system is just been echoed countless times with other artists. Yeah. Even on down to larger independent labels, they behave in a lot of the similar ways to to yeah. basically just pump out the next hit, let this artist go. Well, they don't really—they the don't, they don't really know what the next hit is. You know, that's the thing that they all claim they do, but no one really does. You know, and uh, but it's really—you know—being involved in the in the in a in the system of the of the of record companies, it's really more like an obstacle course rather than uh, a situation that fosters creativity. You know, the 
doesn't really seem to be uh, all that much of that. It's it's the same story, even whether it's you know commercial big multinational labels of 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 which there's a few only a few left, and even as you say with, I mean I don't really know what goes on independent. I've only been with the same people for you know for nearly twenty years now, you know so. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a similar tale. <laughs> Whenever you talk to people about labels, it's it's pretty much the same story. Could we talk a little bit about your acting career? You've you've joined the club. There's some musicians who've who've uh, been known to be in film and and television. Tom Waits, John Lurie, Mark Wahlberg, Barbara Streisand. There's a it's a pretty pretty nice list. Do you have uh, a favorite? Uh, fellow musician turned actor. I think Tom Waits is really great. You know, I mean, all, all those other people have, have a lot more profile than I do. I, I've done a few things, but not that much. You know, I've done bits here and there. Did a couple of movies a while ago that I quite liked. I, I did a, uh, an Australian uh, film called Cozy, which was cool, and I've done a few other things, but I haven't really done all that much. Uh, but uh, you know, I'd love to do more. I'm very, I'm very available. You know, when I'm not on the road. <laughs> what do you like about acting? Well, there's better catering. <laughs> Do you have any upcoming projects, acting or otherwise? No, I'm just getting through this year. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a crazy year of touring. After I've done this, I go out with Ringo, and then I go out, uh, as Men at Work with my LA band with um, John Waite and Rick Springfield. And then I do more Ringo, and then I do more solo stuff in Australia, which takes me up to November. So okay. I'm just going to pace myself through this year. Thank you for listening to this episode, and we would be even more happy were you to share it with someone, whether that's in person or online. You're just a click away from following us on your podcast platform of choice and getting updated immediately when new episodes arrive. On platforms that make room for reviews, it will only take a minute to give the series a good rating and a review. All of that will help make Southern Songs and Stories and the artists it profiles more likely to be found by more people just like you. This series is a part of the lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media, with all the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com. You can also hear new episodes on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Thanks to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series on Public Radio WNCW, where we worked with Joshua Ming, who wrote and performed our theme songs. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it. get a look into the the Colin Hay machine as it were what how many levels are you working at you know there's Colin Hay on stage but there's obviously Colin Hay CDs uh, you've been in films what uh, what else is there for us to to connect with I think that's about it you know I mean I could make a pretty nice plate of 
sauteed Brussels sprouts, if you like that kind of thing. <laughs> I do. Mm. Actually, I've come to appreciate bus Brussels sprouts, but... Most people have. It's not something that you... It's something you come to acquire a taste for in, in later life, usually. My introduction to Brussels sprouts were canned Brussels sprouts. Oh, you poor boy. 